They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our Low Effort, Low Quality Podcast. This is Liz Brunick. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. A little bit of a sad week this week. Yeah. Bernie got sick. Oh, no. He was in the hospital uh, for a, a heart attack. Myocardial mm-hmm. infarction. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some stents placed in an artery mm-hmm. uh, to clear a blockage. And he's out now, I think, resting for a little while in Vermont before getting back on the trail. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. Get well soon. Yeah, can we get know? a get well soon in the chat? I'm going to get a card, make sure all the coworkers sign it. Yeah, big one. Um. Big <laughs> card uh, and a cookie cake. A cookie cake, an edible arrangement. Yeah. Oh, the edible um, arrangements are not good, man. Some books. I don't, I like some the books. Books. Books was on Shark Tank. It's a good flower delivery service. I, I, I don't approve of the edible arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you not familiar, this is a big pile of... Um, cut fruit basically so mm-hmm. like instead of just delivering you a pineapple and like 10 apples and a bunch of strawberries this uh uh business cuts these things into shapes reducing their keep time to about 10 minutes and then they deliver you a, a, a thing that is a bunch of flower shaped fruit and you have to eat it immediately Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one's gonna. No one wants seven pounds. Of it's too fruit. much, or maybe people overorder. I don't know if they have a smaller option. Or I mean, not. but like, but um, how can you send someone the amount of fruit they actually want to eat in the moment they get it and have that arrive like a gift, right? Like that would be like seven pieces of fruit. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a cake. It seems like you should share it, but maybe you know that's not usually what you have in mind when you're delivering flowers, which this is supposed to be in alternative to it's not like people share the flowers right it's not like it's i mean if you sent it to someone's office or something Mm, yeah yeah but like my i i received an edible arrangement uh upon graduation and remember that Uh, at brandeis and i was just like what the hell do i do with this and like after a day it started to like ferment it smelled like alcohol yeah i've had that happen multiple times when i've been sent them um, you, they start to smell one. Well, I didn't even realize it was smelling. I was just like, geez, it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of kind of gross and like a, like a distillery. Yeah. Here, yeah. And, and then uh, I've been figured, Oh, it's the, it's the edible arrangements fruit. turning into wine or whatever. Yeah, Disgusting. Not um, what I want in my life. Uh, anyway, don't send those to Bernie. <laughs> Do um, I think you should. No, no. Send uh, about a hundred of them. No. Do you like no. the Daily Coast guy where he sent 50,000 roses to Nancy Pelosi? Only it's 50,000 50, edible pineapple. arrangements. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. And well, then he can donate 40,000 of them to the troops like Nancy did. She donated the roses to the troops? Yeah. To uh, the VA hospital. 
Oh, okay. All right. Not all of them, just the ones that wouldn't fit in her. Oh, well, I office. assume that's what a bunch of grown men want. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess you're sort of like, oh, shit, okay, I can't actually receive 50,000 roses. Yeah. There's not a capacity for this. Uh, well, I got to give them away, but I, what's, well, the troops, yeah. it's got to be the troops. I think um, uh, if, if it were me, I would donate them to like, um, like Arlington National Cem- Cemetery and have them put on graves. Yeah, that could work. That could you know. work. Uh, but anyway, uh, people have, um, I saw one meme in which, uh, it was suggested that every time someone says Bernie is no longer fit to be in the race, the tweeter slaps a blue button with $27 on it. <laughs> yeah, Bhaskar Sankara <laughs> did that. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, he seems to be doing well. Uh, certainly, you know, unfortunately, he had to go through this. Uh, they cleared it up. You know, it's just like pipes to the heart, you know, clear up a little clog. That's how I understand it as a, as a medical doctor. Well, you know, so this is not a medical podcast. Don't, don't take anything we say as medical advice. Uh, I, you know, I lost my grandfather in a similar situation. Oh, yeah. I had, yeah. When I was uh, like eight years old, my grandpa had smoked since he was 12. Uh-huh. He was 61 years old and, uh, he, he had a heart attack. They put stents in and he still unfortunately passed away. But, you know, every medical situation is different, obviously. And, it, you know, uh huh. Things have advanced since then. That's true. That's you know. true. And and so there's been a ton of concern trolling. It's really obnoxious. Uh, I'm on another podcast. I don't know if you knew that. Mm, yeah, you're violating our non-compete, but uh, so it is what it is, you, I guess. You kind of let it go. But I'm on, uh, it's called Left, Right, and Center on KCRW, which is a Southern California station and an affiliate of NPR. And uh, while I was on there on Friday, I said, you know, Everyone complains about Bernie Bros online, and I will grant you there is uh, some tussling on the Twitter. Uh, but if you want to see some really, you know, vile stuff, look at any reply to any news tweet saying Bernie Sanders has heart condition, and you'll mm-hmm. see a bunch of really, really not nice things being said. So you know, it's a two-way street. Yes, out here on the wild. Well, wild the, West this sort internet. of narrative, uh, the prior one was driven just mostly by the political composition of the media, right? Yeah. It's like, well, we're all pro Hillary, and so we have this common experience of people criticize us yeah. who are not for Hillary, and some of them are very mean and vicious, and they sort of look around, and it seems to be like an affirming kind of thing, like you too, you too, you too, and but they don't. There are no Sanders people in their offices to ask, well, do you get shit? Um, and so right. it just sort of spirals out from there. And so it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, we're experiencing the normal thing of political vitriol online. But since we are all 100%, I mean, with a very few exceptions, uh, pro-Hillary or anti-Bernie or whatever, we all experience it as if it is unique to our candidate because that is overlapping with, uh, you know, uh, who we are. Um, and so, I but gotta, you know, you yeah. win some and you lose some. You win some and you lose some. I got a, I got a bunch of people uh, furious uh, at me after I, after I said that on Friday who got in my minchies and were like, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you said, you suck, you said, you proved me right. That's what you go. Thanks for proving my point. As you just kept tweeting that at him. Thanks for proving my point. 
I didn't. I didn't do that. That's what you should have done. Thanks should, for proving my point. And then you should have found some sort of graphic, and yeah, you know, it's just like oh. you know, you know, chill out, man. If you don't like something somebody says on a podcast, like, what the fuck motivates you to try to take it up with them? Well, you know, I don't agree with that, and then move on. Anyway, I'm for the haters. Get in my mentions. Oh. I want to see it all. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't know. I you know sometimes I I get I get exhausted by it. Um. So, uh, in other news, uh, this week, your friend, uh, Glenn Kessler. Glenneth Kessler, this was not this week per se, but I've been meaning to address this because it's very, very hilarious to me. You know, there was a little, uh, reckoning, reckoning a few months ago about Glenn Kessler. There were a couple of pieces and other art and other publications that were like my god glenn seems to get a lot of things wrong and always slanted against bernie and the left that seems weird um and you know there are the classic examples like bernie sanders says millions of people have to work multiple jobs the greatest hits and then glenn kessler was like uh yes uh, but it's only eight million, so I rank this as misleading. I don't know. It's like, well, I don't know. Is eight million millions? It seems seems to be more than one million. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's, there was a lot of funny stuff like that. Uh, my favorite, which I mentioned on Medium, um, when you know we were having this reckoning about Kessler, is that he, of course declared the claim that the Mercatus Center study of Medicare for All, um, that study found that Medicare for All would cut national health spending by $2 trillion uh, from 2022 to 2031. They tried to kind of hide that. I was the one who flushed that out and was like, actually, if you look at the table and you do the math, it's actually savings. Okay. Um, And then he spent the next, you know, year or so including frankly the editorial board of the post saying that this was untrue uh it was completely true um but my favorite example of him doing this was he said he gives bernie uh, i guess it was actually andrew gillum was the one that he he uh, fact-checked as okay. saying it even yeah. though like uh, um but he mentions bernie in the piece he gives them three Pinocchios for saying that the study found that it, that Medicare for all would save two trillion. So many Pinocchios. Three, three out of four. So you know it's a big amount. But then a few months later, I mean, I'm an obsessive really on this topic with Glenn. I'm I'm a completist. I've read everything you know he's ever written about Medicare for all. A few months later, when he was really trying to like stick it to you know the orange Cheeto in chief, oh, um, which is another of his uh, unfortunate projects, he tried to quickly like uh, line by line re- refute a USA Today op-ed, ostensibly written written by Trump, obviously written by an aide, but yeah. um, and in that op-ed, this was what was so funny about this thing is. Um, as much as Mercatus was in his ear, apparently the author of that study is a friend of his, telling him, this is a lie, this is a lie, this uh, finding that they keep saying, it says $2 trillion. this is a lie, this is a lie. Every other bit of media they did yeah. was saying that this was true. They mm-hmm. wouldn't frame it that way, but they would say, 
oh, Medicare for All is going to cost the federal government $32 trillion, which is just the flip side of saying it's going to save $2 trillion. Yeah. These are the same estimate, just different way of characterizing it. They never did flip to any... They, 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 they stuck with that throughout. That was the messaging. That was the whole point of the whole thing. Anyways, long story short, Trump cites the $32 trillion figure in his piece, which is the same as the figure that... Glenn is given three Pinocchios. It's just the flip side of, yeah. of that figure. Cost versus savings. It's the same yeah. exact estimate from the same table of the same report. Yeah. And Glenn says this is correct. So when when Bernie Sanders cites the same line of the same table of the same report as Trump, but just characterizes that line differently, Trump is correct. Bernie gets three Pinocchios. Anyways, I didn't mean to get off on that because he wrote a piece recently um, based on the last debate in which he's he's back at it. Medicare for all. At it again. He's back at on his Medicare for all bullshit. A lot of the piece is kind of confusing and uh, uh, a little hard to follow, but he gets to the end here where he goes, all right, you know, Bernie Sanders is basically saying in the debate, hey, apples to apples or, or you know, whatever, um, uh, Medicare for all is going to save $2 trillion, et cetera, et cetera, right? And here's my, here's the, the just lovely, lovely money shot. Under the Mercatus range of estimates, total health expenditures under Medicare for all w- would be $57.6 trillion to $63.8 trillion over 10 years. On average, that's slightly higher than the current path. And what he's done here, and it's just so beautiful because it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Okay? Okay. It's so just like your brain is mush or you're a liar. The two genders. (laughs) (laughs) In the Mercatus study, there are two estimates of the total cost of Medicare for all. The one is based on Bernie Sanders' plan, right? When you think about Medicare for all, in, in broad strokes, any healthcare system, how do you estimate how much it's going to cost? You do two things. You go, how many units of healthcare are people going to consume? Obviously, that's very abstract, but stick with me conceptually. How many units are they going to consume? Oh, well, they're going to consume, you know, uh, one billion units of healthcare, okay? And how much is each unit going to cost? You know, how much are we going to pay for each unit of healthcare, right? Yep. Right? So you have the, you know, um, the, the units and the unit price. You multiply the number of healthcare units by the unit price. That gets you the total estimate. Yeah. That's essentially what all these things do. There's a lot of complicated, you know, aspects to it, but that's basically it. Yeah. Okay. So units consumed, we'd sort of assume that's the same, you know, regardless. Okay. And then you just look at unit price, okay? And Bernie says, my unit price, the price for a knee replacement, the price for going to see the doctor, right? Not the price that we're charging to the individual, but the price we're paying to the provider. That's going to be set at the current Medicare rates, Yeah. right? So we have a whole system, Medicare for elderly and disabled, and there's a certain reimbursement rate you get if you provide healthcare to people who have Medicare coverage. Mm -hmm. We're going to stick with those rates. Yeah. But that's going to be everyone now, okay? Mm-hmm. And under that estimate, under that assu- assumed price, yeah, 
Bernie Sanders saves two trillion. Okay. Right? The plan saves two trillion. Yeah. Even though it covers thirty million more people, et cetera, et cetera. Right. He does that one. Hey, yeah, Bernie saves two trillion. And then in the appendix, he does the second estimate. Yeah. In which he says, I'm going to assume that in fact the reimbursement rates are going to be a lot higher. Right? So the same amount of healthcare is going to be consumed, the same yeah. number of units, but the unit price, I'm just going to assume it's going to be a lot higher than Bernie says he's going to set the price. Okay. Okay. And then he puts that out and he goes, oh, that's going to be $63 trillion. So if you do the Bernie price, it's 57 If you do this price that Blauhaus makes up based on nothing, it's $63 trillion. Okay. Okay. Fine, whatever. Okay. But here's where here's where it's like only Glenn, only Glenn could do this. What Glenn does is he goes, let's average those. Makes sense to me. Let's average. Let's have the one that's based on the Bernie unit prices, and we'll take one that's based on the Blauhaus unit prices, which he invents. You can set the price wherever you want. You're the government, right? You can say we're only going to pay this amount yeah. for for fucking knee surgery. You can do that. You're the government. What? Yeah. It's not a matter, you know what I mean? It's not an estimate of something that's unknown. Right. If the government says they're only, only going to pay a thousand bucks for knee surgery, they're only going to pay a thousand bucks for knee surgery. Now, I don't know if that's a reasonable price. I don't know what the actual price is, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. They, they get to decide, right? Yeah. Just as they get to decide if we're going we're gonna to tax 30% versus 33% or 35 or 37, that's not a variable that you're like estimating and guessing and like, yeah. what are the elasticities and so on? No, you said it in the law. So Pretty he badass. takes the Bernie price that's going to be set in the law and he averages it with this other price that is nothing. It's just nothing. Oh, but you got to see both sides. And it goes, you know? if you average it, it's actually slightly more expensive than our current system. So Why are we averaging Bernie's plan t- to something that's not Bernie's plan? Who even told you to average it? And then the other thing is he keeps talking about this like, this is a range of estimates. This, it's not a range of estimates. It's just two. It's the Bernie plan and then the Blauhaus plan. There's no rage. Like he makes it sound like, again, like this is a model where it's like, we don't know what the elasticities are around utilization and that sort of thing. Right. That's what he makes it sound like. And so, you know, it's like it's like you see with the climate forecasts where you see like this sort of range of, well, it depends if we do this or do that or do that or if we assume certain kind of feedback loops and you get this sort of, you know, fan of estimates. There's no fan of estimates. There's two. There's Bernie's. And there's Blauhouses. There's just two discrete points based on what price you want to charge. And he goes, well, if you average the real one versus the fake one, it's actually more expensive. Therefore, Bernie gets himself some three Pinocchios. Once again, we're back at it with the three Pinocchios. Three Pinocchios, you know. And it's just like, I just can't believe. If you average something that the plan entails with something that I made up. It is just, it is literally, and I think I said this on Twitter at time. Let's say I had a plan that was like, I'm going to increase the top tax rate by 5%. Uh Or let's say 10% to make this a little little more interesting. The top tax rate is going to go to 10%. I think right now it's 37. So, you know, we're going to increase it from 37 to 47. Okay. And someone was like, oh, interesting. I used my little tax model and I determined that that was going to raise, you know, um, $300 billion of revenue. Right. Uh-huh. And then they came in and they were like, but, but what if you only did f- 5% raise 
Oh, what if instead yeah. of raising them by 10%, you raise them by 5%? Yeah. Huh? What if that's what you did? That gets you a different outcome. Huh? Yeah. That's actually going to be uh, 150. How about that? So, and then Glenn was like, very interesting, very interesting. So, we've got the one plan that does the 10%, and then we got this other plan that does the 5%. So what we got what we should do if we want to figure out how much revenue a 10% tax raise is going to bring in, we should average it with the 5% tax raise. We should take the 10% tax raise, take the 5% tax raise and we should average the two. Yeah, and see what you get. And then that'll tell you what the 10% tax raise gets you. No, no it won't. Oh. No, the the one oh. that does the 10 per, that's the one that's going to tell you what oh. that one's going to get you. You wouldn't average it with that literally what he's doing in this piece. He's just submental like what's going on. Splitting hairs, I think. No. That's not yeah. splitting hairs. Oh. He's so straightforwardly wrong. And like who told him to average this? Is he what what you know what I mean? Yeah. Who said here's two discrete estimates, average them. Blauhaus doesn't average them in his paper. He's not like, oh, yeah, if you take them and you add them together and divide by two, he, he doesn't do that. Yeah, so yeah, he I just mean, take it, it upon it, himself to average two different figures. This, this whole situation, uh, the whole <laughs> phenomenon of media fact checkers is uh, quickly worsening our epistemic crisis. Yes. No, I, I, I actually I thought exactly this because it's like, you know, I don't know. I start looking when this sort of stuff happens. Over and over and over Yeah, again. well, when it becomes clear someone has an ideological bias, and everyone does, like, there's no shame in it. And it's like... Uh, but it, it, it begins to, I mean, everyone who thinks the media simply lies about Sanders or, you know, whatever, has ample reason to argue that <laughs> at this point. And, you know, in the midst of a major legitimation crisis, that's not what you would want yes. the media to be doing, but whatever, you know. Yes, no, that, and, and as a fact thing. No, no, I definitely right. looked at them like, yeah, it's fake news. Everything's fake, like you shouldn't believe anything. And like, right. of course, that's probably not where you want to go. No, no. With things, no. but it's like, you know. That and Matt Iglesias said it right, when he was just like, Glenn should have a column in which he's like, here are my opinions on U.S. healthcare, yes. or here's my opinions on why it doesn't matter that eight million people work multiple jobs. And right. he, you could do that and be like, "Look, it's eight million people, yeah, but there's three hundred million people in the country, and that's actually not that many." Right. Like that's really what he wants to get at with a lot of this stuff. Is he's like that number doesn't matter, or you know, I don't think politically this is going to work out. Like it would be totally reasonable for him uh, if he wanted to write a column about Medicare for all for him to say. Look, Bernie says that we're only going to pay doctors Medicare reimbursement rates. Right. I think that given the power of the doctor lobby and the hospital lobby, that once this goes through the process, the rates will be much higher because these folks love to, you know, scrape rents out of the system or whatever it might yeah. be. Like, that would be a totally reasonable thing to say is to go, look, I don't even want to go down this path because I know in the legislative process it's going to get costlier and costlier. You, that would be a thing you could do, right? But what you can't do is say, as a factual matter, this plan costs more than it actually costs. You can't right. do that. And you can't do that with all the, you know, the classic hits everyone points out. Like the thing that they all have in common is he basically thinks that the statistic doesn't matter. He thinks that like, you know, the way people are reading this, 
makes them think like it's really important that, you know, uh, millions of people don't, millions of people work multiple jobs or the bottom half owns virtually no wealth when in fact it doesn't really matter. Or in fact, the politics of this or that policy are going to play out differently. That, but that's, that's op-ed shit. That's not, you know. Which is a worthy profession. It's a totally fine profession. I think it's good. I would be interested to hear different opinions. I don't know about, you know, his in particular, but like, you know, you can't cram your opinions into factual proclamations. It's like, you know, people say, you know, if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. But I think it's even worse than that. It's like if all you have is a fact check column, you have no choice but to translate all of your opinions into claims of truth and falsity instead of like, here's my view on what matters and and how politics is going to unfold, you know, so. So. You uh, you had also mentioned in your reading adventures this week coming across the concept of a care point. Can you tell us about the care points? Oh, yes. This this also came out. I want to say this came out a while ago, but it was only released to the web like in the last week or two. Yeah. So this, this, is, is, this is like a... This an, is from American Affairs, volume three, number three, um, which I assume means this is the third year and the third quarter of that year okay uh, <laughs> which is i guess i could i don't know what is this thing you know american affairs right some sort of conservative ish yeah well american affairs um, is a, like a, a journal so it comes in like a um you know it's not like a softback magazine it's like hard bound in a in a sense uh and it's a, it's run by conservatives, um, uh, but it it they make real efforts to to pull in some ideological diversity. So you do see uh, liberals and and even leftists because they're kind of an offbeat publication. They they periodically bring in odd left uh, writer. Um, so you know, pretty pretty broad ranging, uh, interesting journal. Yeah. Mm, yeah. All right. So. Um, they had a piece called Affirming the American Family. Okay. By Maria Mola. Okay. And Gladden Pappen. Uh-huh. So, was Pappen. All right. Um, many people did not believe that this was a real name, Gladden Pappen. Um, you know, both Glad and Pappen. What's not to like? Um... And it's a family benefits piece, which, as the longtime listeners will know, of course, I am uh, the leading well, uh, theorist and uh, policy man on via the family fun plaque. Clap, 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 clap. Family fun pack. Clap, 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 clap. Okay. And this is, uh, you know, I guess an alternative. Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't mention the family fun pack. I don't know if they're familiar with it uh, per se, but... They're, you know, here's our plan for family benefits, all right? And, you know, it's an okay piece as far as things go. You know, they spend, uh, they have some graphs and whatnot in which they go, you know, the child tax credit, EITC, doesn't really work. Uh True. 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 Been saying that. All true. Been saying that. And then they go, uh, well, it's weird. They, uh, They call these things the incentive temptation, which I guess is like, anyways... Like, then, like where you're trying to incentivize yeah i guess like yeah work or yeah incentivizing child yeah no no inv- incentivizing child having i guess okay so oh, if you give a child tax credit that'll incentivize mm, child I having i don't know about that and then they have ins- the incentive temptation number two 
which is universal child care. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I find that section really weird, including they have this graph in which they graph U.S. child care workforce versus fertility rates, which I honestly have a hard time even interpreting what this graph is telling me. But um, anyways, they're not a fan of that uh, universal child care Um which is weird, I guess. Um, I think uh, when people talk about childcare, uh, unfortunately, there is uh, uh, things have been slotted into this notion that you either prefer center-based care or you prefer, uh, you know, home-based care, and like that's that those are the only ways to go. Yeah. Where of course, in the family fun pack, I say do whatever you want. A center-based care, fine. We have free public childcare. You want to do home-based care? Fine, we'll give you a home child care allowance. Yeah. Right? You pick. You can either go to the center for free, or if you do it at home, you get a check, you know. Yeah, we've had um, an entire podcast episode on whether or not this is feminist. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, but this is sort of like, this is the weird, uh, I don't know, uh, perhaps mine is the, the third way uh, <laughs> solution. For whatever reason, I feel like we are endlessly ensnared in this just I don't know, just seemingly stupid and intractable. Well, because it's an item of culture war. Yes, it's it's totally culture war slash mommy wars, which is itself culture war, where it's like we just sit here and it's like conservatives go, center-based care, not good, you know? Yeah, no one's looking for, I, I think the majority of people involved in this debate are not looking for like a policy solution that threads the needle. They're trying to achieve dominance for their position because it's an item of culture war, yes, not the, an item of policy. Yes, speak. the structure of child benefits just becomes about uh, can I can I you know as a, a proxy for your preferences about whether women should be in the workforce right. or stay at home parenting is better. You know, like that becomes the whole thing. Whereas I'm the only honest broker in the game. Okay, well. Unfortunately, like most things, the only honest man in the think tank game. Um, and I say, look, I'm just trying to get people benefits so they can take care of their kids. I don't really care which one you, you want to do, you know, and then you guys can fight and, you know, argue over, you know, who, who, you know, you know, try to convince people to stay at home or convince people to use the, the child care services. But I'm just going to support both of them. Okay. Um, but as it is, the real vigor and the thing that really gets people interested in these debates uh, is uh, a proxy battle over over the mommy wars, which right. I try to avoid by just embracing all all paths. Um, but anyways, of course, they're on the conservative side of the mommy wars. Yep. Center-based care is bad, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, they don't ban center-based care. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> like how far you really want to take this sort of thing. Like that that's the thing that's always frustrated me, I guess, a little bit about the sort of right-wing perspective on this. If you don't like center-based care, I mean, whatever. I don't, I mean, I don't, I really don't care uh, <laughs> one way or another. But it's like, how far are you willing to go with this? Because it seems like basically the way this works is uh, you still allow upper class and upper middle class parents to pay for center-based care, don't you? So it's like, this is just a proxy battle in which the net upshot is that, you know, you don't want basically poor and middle income people to use center-based care. Well, or, you know, or, just to knock it off at the margins wherever you can get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah like just just say, fighting at every level. It's like, well, we couldn't, we can't just ban a rich person from using a, you know, daycare center. So, uh, you know, just sort of, you know, 
just kind of flail about and and well i mean fundamentally the desire here is to get women out of the workforce yeah um so like okay but what you need to start with is we need to shrink the economy uh-huh you know like we we need fewer workers <laughs> Uh, that needs to be your your first argument. And then your argument for cutting out, you know, a big chunk of the workforce is that they're women and, you know, they should be at home taking care of kids and so forth. Uh, and, you know, and just argue that we need to have less stuff, less production, lower GDP. Yeah, well, right. and tons of transfers. Right. I but, mean, and but, I mean, at least this, this people at least go there and yeah. do actually offer the transfers. But they, you know... They still leave open the ability to pay for center-based care for upper middle class. You know, like, this yeah. is, I guess, the weird thing is, like, obviously the whole discourse is on some level upper middle class and above, or, you know, it might creep down a little bit, but, like, fundamentally, that's who engages in the discourse and who has a microphone to engage well, in the discourse. It's, it's just... um, but it's like, y y y you know, you it's... guys use this stuff, and then you won't let other people use it and you're also not willing to ban it. Like you're not will really willing to do what it would take to achieve what you want to achieve. You just kind of want to, you know, express yourself through, through policy debate. Well, or they think that, you know, it's a less, uh, that, you know, arguing for certain things is okay, but arguing for a complete ban would be received as completely ridiculous. Um, right, right. Well, that, that's a, but then that seems to just trend right towards saying, have your little have your discussions culturally yeah. write your magazines in which you say it's really good if people you know mommy stay at home do that which is fair do but that but I then why hold the benefits hostage to people who need them when right. you're not gonna hold you know rich people hostage you're not gonna make it difficult for them to get the child care services well this is something that, that happens you know in all benefit spheres right so like uh, workfare is a classic example where the argument is, well, you shouldn't get something for nothing. So anyone who's getting welfare has to work. Well, yeah. It's like rich people get something for nothing just by owning. Things, sure. Right? Yes. So like, why shouldn't they have to go do labor in the workhouses? But it's a good demonstration of what I'm always saying about the liberal system, which is, you know, liberalism is not about freedom writ large. It's about freedom for a particular class. Yeah. Right. And it's not about freedom for the lower classes, not about freedom for the working classes. Their freedoms are vastly restricted mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and sometimes more openly than others. But in these particular policy proposals where the only people affected are going to be lower class, working class people and the rich remain perfectly free to choose a bunch of different options. Right. That is a good demonstration of what I mean by, you know, it's just the liberal system in action, you know, liberal capitalism. Yeah. No, we just, in through the benefit system, because these individuals have so, uh, rich individuals have so much disposable income as it is, they, right. they could pretty much do whatever they want um, and, and, and form into any kind of system they want. They could be as, you know, deviant as they want or, you know, whatever, right? There's really nothing to check that. They can work very little if they want, assuming they have a lot of capital. They, they, they have total freedom. Right. And so... Debates about the welfare state are really just, you know, <laughs> de facto debates about how we're going to manage, you know, lower middle class and above people or maybe middle class right, as well. Like you said, um, the conversation is happening among the upper yeah, class. Yeah, just rich so, people being like, what, what are we, we going to do about them? What will we subject them? the yeah. bottom 60% to? How are we going to fix them? How are we going to, what do we yeah. want to make them do? And uh, that's not good. I don't like that. Um, anyways...
they do have a positive program here, an agenda uh, that is, you know, coherent or, uh, you know, it's not just the usual, let's support families, but like there's some substance to it. You can talk about sure. it, etc. And here it goes. We propose a family-oriented stipend program with two components, family pay, which will be a straightforward cash transfer, and care points, which will be credits that can be used for purchasing items relevant to child care and child development, or which can be invested in care bonds, as we discussed below. So in essence, what they're going to do is, whenever you have a kid, um, every year they're going to give you a certain cash amount okay this would be like a child allowance and then you get this second account which is care points uh which you know i guess you would say is sort of like food stamps um but for child things like uh um, toys formula yeah bottles, i mean uh, you know they don't make it make an effort to go fully into what the items are, but it does say items relevant to child care and child development. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so presumably uh, there will be, uh, you know, some uh, uh, bureaucrat who will list all the items and barcodes that you can spend your uh, your child stamps on. Okay. Um, re- it reminds me of the, uh, the CAP had a proposal they were pushing really hard a few years ago, and now it seems to have faded, I guess, with... Trump being president, which was uh, diaper stamps. I remember diaper stamps. Um, uh, that was uh, diaper stamps, and uh, and that whole thing was uh, led by the diaper lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but that's part of it their... It was like Huggies, and they're like, look, we're doing this in partnership with Huggies. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, well, I'm doing this in partnership with Raytheon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they kind of... It was sort of sick. They hid that piece a little bit, like they didn't talk a lot about it, but I also think that they sort of think they're being real clever. Yeah. Because when you ask people about food stamps, you're like, why do we have food? There's no other country in the world where you get like food points. Yeah. And then there's like this whole parallel system of currency that's just food points and you can only spend you yeah, know, on food we and, have and the, particular uh, food. Yeah, we have literally tens of millions of accounts in this fake currency called you know snap points or whatever and yeah. and like that's weird like why can't you just give people cash and they're like no you don't you don't see you don't get it because this means that the farmers and the food lobby they love it and so you see through this uh, little two-pronged strategy we win over business by forcing people to only have points that can only buy their goods. Great. And then we went over, you know, the left because it's progressive. Yeah, and, and then the, the diaper uh, stamps thing was actually a direct consequence of how fucked up food stamps is. Well, they sort of pos- <laughs> they sort of position it as, it's really funny because <laughs> the diaper stamp stuff, oh man, they were like, you know what's fucked up? With food stamps is you can buy food, but what about other necessities like diapers? And you're like, that's a very good point. You know what you could uh, you could buy diapers with money? Is with actual and cash. Fo- and food yeah. you can buy with money? All this stuff can be so bought with money. one month you need more uh, diapers and less food, and then you, like, know, you can just do that with your cash. I, I could just imagine a think tanker in cap or whatever just like sitting there and like their whole career is just to gradually expand the number of items you can buy with this welfare currency. Yeah, they're like, well... 
Oh, you boy. see, we, so we have food stamps, but you can't buy diapers with it. So now we have diaper stamps, but you can't buy medicine with it. So we're we're doing maybe we'll medicine, do medicine stamps. stamps, and, and uh, like maybe they'll like it'll be like one program, you know. Like eventually it'll just be you know care points or whatever. Holding stamps. And like, oh, and maybe you could also use the food stamps to pay for, uh, yeah, clothes. What about formula? What about uh, yeah. child care? Hell, you know, uh, water's important. Um, People yeah. at the end of the month having all these leftover stamps. <laughs> <laughs> these points are trying yeah, to find like, some oh, vendor God who takes damn. them. <laughs> I thankfully, I, I don't think they take your points at the end of the month. I hope not. Um, um, I mean, most people spend, spend them all, but, um, ho- hopefully I think they carry over. Um, but I don't know, actually, that's an interesting, I've never actually, despite all my work on food stamps, <laughs> ever asked the question of do the stamps go away? But I just like imagine a month where like your kids are sick and you end up needing like five gallons of Pedialyte and that screws up your food buying and like you need more diapers because they're having diarrhea, but you've only got a limited amount of stamps. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. you haven't used all your clothing stamps. So it would be great if that were just cash because you could you could be buying more of what you actually need. But instead, you're on a stamp budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you could have. Yeah, that that's probably how it would actually play out. Is everyone would have accounts with yeah. different points instead of just like one yeah. account that you could, and then like eventually, like shit, man, isn't it just money at this point? Isn't it just money? It's Why like, can't I just have? Fun <laughs> it's like money, money you can't buy alcohol and cigarettes with. It's like okay, God, <laughs> is it that important? Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, um, anyways, the amounts are kind of uh, large. So you know, for the first kid, you get sixty five hundred dollars of cash uh, for annual amount and zero care points no care points no care points but the second kid you get 9200 in cash and then 2300 in care points so uh, every marginal kid the total amount of dollars plus care points Mm -hmm. is going down so you're getting less for each incremental kid yeah and more of it is being given to you in the care points not the dollars um which i guess is like some way to like force you like oh you know we're gonna force you to spend extra family benefits on the kids or whatever yeah um i assume this was workshopped and you know it's the usual stuff you get where people are like what won't people just have kids to get money yeah and they're like shit man we keep getting this and of course like the answer is what are you talking about like you don't net ben- no, <laughs> you yeah. don't net and, cash out yeah. from this stuff anyone uh, who thinks that having kids is a good way to get money is uh is really living in a fantasy world but they were like man we okay well we gotta placate these folks so we're gonna do these points we'll do these the care points, points um things um they don't actually spend a whole lot of time on what you can do with it uh i did note that if you don't use your care points, you can use them to do care bonds. Oh. Um, so basically you can put them in, you can like give the care points back to the government mm-hmm. and they will give you a care bond, which will uh, give you like a small interest rate. I guess what they say, 20% premium on the interest rate of government debt. So if you have a 10 year treasury bond yielding 2%, you'd get, the care bond would yield 2.4%. Yeah. And you, I guess, would use that for their future. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I guess, a, f- a 529 account or similar to the baby bond stuff. Um, so, so. so what's your read on this? Well, one other thing I'd like to... Well, first off, it's really goofy. I mean, like, basically, it's just a big child allowance, except, you know, some half of it is put off into these care points. Um, uh, why? 
why I do that. And then two, it doesn't actually, you know, I mean, from the family fun pack perspective, it's not actually fixing all the problems we have. Like the problems we have with family policy is not purely related to cash or whatever, right? So there's no paid leave program, for instance. Yeah. What do you, you know, hmm. what is, what is this? I get a, what, I get a, a child allowance, but I, I have to leave work to care for my kid when they're, you know, in the first few months of life. Do I have guarantee that I can return? Yeah. Is this going to be related to what I used to make at work? Like, how is this going to solve that problem? Yeah. And then what about childcare and pre-K? You can be like, oh, well, we're giving you money. This First off, the amount that they're giving is not enough. Well, I, I kind right? of think that, the, that maybe what's going on here is a background assumption that one partner doesn't work. Well, but then they give it to you in care points. Like, that's the weird thing. Because th- you, you read the article, and we just discussed this, and they're, they're starting tilting center-based child care is bad. Center-based yeah, child yeah, care yeah. is bad. And then you give people care points. What is, you know what I mean? You, what do I use the care points for? I use them to put the kid in child care or I can maybe some buy some stuff. But that doesn't compensate me, the stay-at-home caregiver. Yeah. Like I can't buy things with the points. You know what I mean? I can't pay right. my rent or my car bill no, or anything I, I like that. I think they have in mind that the child allowance covers those things and, and that's for you, the parent, and then the care points make sure that, you know, you're actually taking care of the kid, right? I guess. That's probably um, the thought process there. But, you know, that's not a very, it's it's just a, that's not a very effective uh, child stamp. Stru- structure of doing this, you know, because realistically even even when you want stay-at-home parents i mean this is something that i feel like people don't discuss a lot let's say you're big into like oh i think people should stay home what what how long do you want them to do that yeah like i think it's sort of just sort of it's sort of tossed out there and in minds people are thinking about young children and there you know obviously people have different preferences but like when a kid is 10 or 11 yeah like what what does it mean to be a? St- they're at school all day. Well, you and should like, uh, you should be a grand multipara, and you should have you know one baby at all times. Well, you least. could do that, right? And but in that case, having a system of home care allowances, which yeah. were only applicable to kids who are under the age of three or maybe under the age of five, then that would still work for that yeah. kind of person. But like, there's no, you know what I mean? There's no discussion right. of what do you do when the kids are like when you don't have young kids at home, but they're right. they're not eighteen yet. What do you do then? Yeah. Like what what is your preference like, you know, conservative, social conservative? What do you what do you want the mom to do? Just sort of what? It's not I mean, sit you know, at home volunteer. while your kids are in high school? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean Remember the moms who used to use that weird easy bake oven thing to make uh cookies for oh, the football yeah. team? Yeah, 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 they would be there in the middle of the day, like when we were in school baking cookies, and uh, our teachers would let us send a kid from each class with like a bunch of money to buy cookies and bring back. And uh, I was always like, "Do you guys have jobs?" No, obviously they didn't. What's going on? My mom always um, worked, so I was like, "What the hell?" So, anyways, there are other parts of this that I think are really fascinating. So, one, the care points are dumb. If you're going to do it at all, just give people money. And then, secondly, the money, you need to structure the money and the benefits in a way that actually fits with people's lives. When people first have a kid, they're going to need money that is uh, related to their prior earnings so that they can take time off and comfortably care for their kid. You need to provide specific child care arrangements for people, right? I mean, in in the Family Fun Pack, we build out public child 
daycare centers. You don't have to use them. If you don't use them, you receive a home care allowance to take care of young kids in the home. But you're actually building out that capacity. Giving someone care points, that doesn't create the supply, right? Which is a big problem in a lot of areas. There are not enough childcare facilities in D.C. In a lot of cities, there are not enough childcare facilities or child carers. So that has to be an active you know, something that has to be actively planned. Um, you know, we could go on and on, but, um, you know, don't use points. And also you need a suite of benefits that actually respond to issues people have. The uh, lump sum cash is just not doing it. Yeah. The other thing I thought was really troubling here was, and this is a problem that the conservatives have had for a long time, is... They want to, you know, support families, but they don't want to support single parent families. Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, man, wait a minute. If we made it easier for people to have kids by, you know, uh, dedicating social income to that purpose, whether in the form of child care benefits or child allowances or whatever, then that would make it so that, uh, you know, single parents parents were not in like crushing poverty and then they might choose to have more kids and like we want to head that off and that was the whole point of the child allowance or the child tax credit stuff that they used to push the reformicon is because it phased in it was going to deprive single mothers of income by which they meant it's going to deprive all poor families of income they're using poor families as a proxy for single parents yeah um, which is not actually true right i mean there are two-parent families that are quite poor and would also be excluded from a phased-in child tax credit. And there are single parents who are affluent. I knew a single parent at a Boston University Law School who was like one of their top administrators. She was a single parent and she was making like $140,000 a year. She would receive the benefit, but mm-hmm. a poor married couple would not. Uh, you know, so But they try to proxy for it by cramming down the poor and being like, we think most poor people are single mothers and so that's where we're going to we're going to really stick it to them to 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 disincentivize single parenting, you know? Yeah. But they're not doing that in this proposal, right? Oh, everyone gets family pay and everyone gets care points. So what do we do? We've 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 solved the problem of well, aren't people just going to have kids to get money by doing this weird care point shit? But how do we solve the problem of people being like, "Well, won't this just allow single parents to have kids?" And here they go. Here's how they solve that. Finally, our goal is to encourage stable families, not unstable ones. So that's good. Um, the program would disincentivize single parenthood by phasing out benefits more rapidly, just as current tax incentives do, though this would be offset by increased child support payments from the other parent. In parentheses, here it is. Here it okay, comes. You ready? ready? And in cases in which a court decides that one parent tried as best as they could to maintain a stable household and the other made it impossible, single parent reductions could be waived. So (laughs) as part of this welfare apparatus, your family pay and your care points are going to be docked if you're a single parent. Except there's going to be an army of presumably tens of thousands of hearing examiners that you can go forward and plead your case and be like, oh, I'm I'm not a, you know. I'm virtuous. He, I was good, but that son of a bitch, you yeah. know, he just, and 
this this is what this this is going to be like you're going to go i just remember uh, every when i read this my mind flashed to when i was uh, briefly like a legal aid uh, attorney i guess you know like i was yeah. in law school and i was helping the legal aid uh, and you had to go before a hearing examiner when your unemployment benefits were denied and be like no nah, i really deserve these unemployment benefits like i really you know yeah. like and it was like it was such a horrible, horrible setup. Um, I remember that period because it wasn't just like prove your earnings or something like that. They were really trying to determine like could you could you have stayed at that job? Yeah, you know. And I remember I had to go. I actually went before a judge. It got to that point on one of them where this lady had, um, and this was uncontested from the. Uh, this was uncontested from the uh, the other side. Their boss was uh, constantly calling her. a cunt whoa um can't say that on this podcast uncontested actually it was in um spanish um what is it in spanish oh i don't know Um, i think it is it like punta or something i I try not to even think Um, about it at all but it it was at a mcdonald's and she was like she had she quit because Mm -hmm. it was so abusive Mm -hmm. the situation and she'd been denied unemployment benefits because you're not supposed to quit to get your unemployment benefits you know you have to be fired except there are exceptions in like you know yes um and it's like that that that's basically what they want but for single parents right so like it's to, not a case of like uh you were cheating uh, you know although it seems like you got to go air this whole thing out before some asshole in a robe and be like no nah, i'm a single parent but it's legit it's for legit reasons like what were you gonna talk about what abuse talk about you know like that's what you want to do that in your family benefit system just you know well it seems like these are folks who generally don't believe in no fault divorce uh-huh uh so every divorce has to have someone who caused it and someone who was the more innocent party you would think except for rare cases where like both people were cheating or something uh so like it, it would seem like this would apply to lots and lots and lots and lots of single parents maybe they're thinking about people who uh you know just they're trying to exclude people who recklessly get pregnant out of wedlock and yeah so well, and exclude so meaning what meaning the kids live in poverty yeah that's I your mean, punishment it's, yeah the, thanks man that's great that's great i'm sure the kids will really respect they'll say you know what I was hungry, but at the margin, this might have uh, added one million extra marriages. So um, you got to think and, about it. You know, I'm on the other end of that margin. It didn't add a marriage in my case, um, but I'm I'm willing to suffer in order to uh, get those marginal marriages accomplished. It's this sicko shit. You got to do what you got to do. And just imagine trying to administer this. Yeah, that seems really difficult. Having people come into court and try to make their case and then how would that even work like the here's here's the here's a newsflash for you to the extent that they're imagining basically a mom going and the dad the dad's not going to show up yeah the dad's not even going to be there so what what would even how would you even have this hearing the mom would go he did x y and z and the dad's not even going to be there yeah to go no i didn't or whatever Right. So what do you, you just automatically credit it? In which case the whole thing is pointless. Because yeah, then of course, everyone. <laughs> everyone's just going to get a legal aid lawyer and go and be like, yeah, here are the things that qualify as like a legitimate single mother. All those things happen to me. Yeah. And then they'll be like, well, uh, 
there's no one contested. There's no uh, testimony to the contrary. Uh, like yeah. that, that would be so. Either it's pointless, or it's or or it operates in some way that like achieves something. But then it's like brutal and disgusting. And yeah, it's like why do this? I wanna I wanna be in the dystopian future, uh, a detective who exclusively figures out whether people recklessly got pregnant out of wedlock sleuthing like going to the garbage and or, stuff yeah or whether it was you know surveilling them talking to all their friends <laughs> trailing them around town and like what i conclude is like uh she she was not uh compelled into this that's the kind of shit you would have to do right because yeah. because like i said if the, if the dad's not going to show up and basically the person can just say whatever the only way to do would be to have like a legit investigation we'd have to hire a bunch of gum shoes that's gonna be my job to uh <laughs> roam around to try to prove this thing and it you know i mean what this brings me back to i mean and it's the same thing as the do you should kids go in center-based care should they be at home yeah. you know my perspective on this is like i don't really i don't really care that much or you know maybe you have an opinion but like you should try to convince people yeah. if you want people to be stay-at-home parents then convince them to be yeah. stay-at-home parents right fight and, the culture wars culturally. yeah exactly and like yeah. It's same thing for center-based care, the same thing for marriage or single parenting or whatever. Trying to like brutalize people and make their kids suffer in order to do this is really weird. And it's especially weird if you believe, yeah, as conservatives claim, that marriage is already just very desirable and good. Right. Right. With the stay at home parenting, it's kind of similar as well, though. Maybe it's a, but in the marriage case, it's always struck me as really weird. Like, aren't you saying that it's really hard to be a single parent yeah. and that, that marriage is really good? It gives you all these uh, uh, emotional resources and financial resources. And like, like, like that's the case. The case is marriage is awesome. Well, then what do you need to beat someone into doing it <laughs> why why do you have to threaten their kids with poverty it's like 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 ice cream is very good yeah. you know what i mean and like no one needs i don't need a tax credit to get ice cream i'm like god man this shit is really good and i go and buy it if anything it's like the reverse it's like oh it's so good like maybe you should jack the price up a little bit to keep me from buying so much of it because you know it has negative side effects in the case of ice cream but it's like if marriage is so good, the incentive is built in. Right. You just tell people how awesome it is. You don't need to, you know what I mean? Like right. implicit in this is they recognize that actually uh, a lot of marriages are really shitty and suck. Or difficult. Because yeah. they're abusive and whatever. And like for those folks, we kind of have to really put the thumb on the scale because for a lot of them, they, they see the alternative is better. Or there, uh, there are at least uh, people for whom marriage isn't uh, great option uh or doesn't look like one right i mean i'm i'm an advocate of marriage i think it's good uh but you know so this this kind of uh links into something else that we wanted to talk about uh which is the wall street journal article uh that came out this week and made everybody really mad mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. so that article it, you know it, it was about uh, how since lots and lots more women are graduating from college than men, uh, it's going to be difficult for these women who have college degrees to find mates because women generally don't want to marry men who are beneath them in status. Uh-huh. Right? Who don't have college degrees, in other words. So, so you don't see a lot of college graduates who are willing to marry high school graduates. 
women mm-hmm. to men anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've seen this before. There was a whole book on it, like the economics of dating or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there was yeah. like a write up on Jezebel a while back, a couple years ago, I think it might have been. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that one actually. That one was actually funny, the write up. Um, yeah. uh, and yeah. so so that, that caused a lot of consternation. I actually can't tell what people are mad about. Like if the data bears it out, then it's true. Uh, I, and I don't know the status of the data because I'm not dating, so I don't care. Well, it looked like um, it looked like the headline and the picture was kind of the headline and the picture was kind of weird, like annoying. Yeah, well, that's Wall Street Journal for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it seemed it actually seemed the picture seemed at odds because the picture showed like uh, a man who was kind of like anxious and like you yeah, know yeah, like, the, like a the, sort of like an empowered woman up front, and then yeah. like a man who was, but like the argument of the article, which was. Um, not well written yeah unfortunately was sort of the the flip side actually which you know because like the this argument if to the extent that it's valid is basically like oh you know it's it's yeah women who you know due to a mismatch in numbers among educated you know if you think of the dating market as being stratified yeah meaning that you know there's a market for college educated dating and then there's a market you know and like there's some crossover but for the most part people with college degrees want to date other people with college degrees if that market is so imbalanced gender wise one way or another then the people who are more numerous uh well you know necessarily some fraction of them are gonna be disappointed or whatever and then theoretically the group that is less numerous has can kind of jerk you around a little bit has a little bit more power market power yeah yeah it's a kind of supply and demand type Mm -hmm. type theory uh if you're you know demand is high and supply is low (laughs) then uh then the the suppliers have more more say so yeah and Um, i mean if if again and i have to emphasize if this is what the data reveal who cares i mean like why why would you get angry about it like it's like okay well that's the way it is then i mean i didn't understand the uh, the outrage i guess like if it's just a little factoid about the world well i think or is there something prescriptive buried in it that's making people mad like ladies settle well, that that was the one that you're talking about before with the Jezebel one, because I yeah. remember the reaction. The reaction was actually kind of disturbing a little bit because the argument of, I don't know if it was a Jezebel piece or whatever, but there was a piece that was summarizing this book that basically made the same point that was like, did you know in Manhattan there mm-hmm. are two college-degreed women for every college-degree man? And, you know, there's, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's very con- very speculative, like the actual impacts. Like you could sort of, draw the numbers and be like look there's more than the other and then sort of do some models and be like it seems like this and then you can go interview some people and then they're like it sure is hard to find a good man and it's like well yeah she could probably have interviewed people saying that forever you know like how do you how do you you know in any sort of definitive way prove you know that sort of thing um but but the upshot of it was and this seems to be obviously true from a math perspective was like, oh, well, you're going to have to marry. Some are going to have to marry down and be more open to marrying, uh, you know, a fireman or or whatever. Yeah, Um, but I think that people are. I don't know. I mean, but but that was what the negative reaction to uh was. It was like how (laughs) which I saw, which was like, how dare you say I have to go. I do remember I have to settle for, you know, 
a dum dum, uh, someone who's who's yeah. stupider than me a, and less a, cultured and a ref- lower class man. And, and I'm like, like, I don't know, I married a low class man. No, you're not. I have a fucking law degree. You know, but you um, are from the lower classes. And um yeah, so that was kind of so that I think is maybe explain some of the yeah like how tension. dare we have to why is it always women who have to bite the bullet or and just like, like yeah there's a sort of dissonance in which it's like oh yeah you know in this other sphere there's this but like again I don't understand that response because if it's simply a mathematical situation it's like I'm not saying you have to settle but then you can't get married like it's, uh, I'm, well, no, I'm not the no, one that doesn't that doesn't really solve the but like no 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 I'm just saying in response to the outrage. No, but the out, you want to understand, you want to psychoanalyze the outrage or you want to treat it as if it's a rational argument. Oh, no. I mean, if I you want to psychoanalyze it, that's what I'm saying is sort of like, oh. No, but it's like when I you hear, know. you know, my grandma, my great grandmother died of breast cancer. So did my grandmother and my mother had it. I'm probably going to have breast cancer. So I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. I mean, you know, but I'm not like furious about it every day. I'm like, oh, that's just how the, the fates twisted my yarn. I don't know. Uh, but whatever. I mean, I understand it being distressing. Anything having to do with dating is going to piss people off extremely. Um, but I would just assume that there will be an adjustment, right? And it will become more common for this to be the case. I mean, if if that is oh, actually yeah. how the math is. It seems like that, though... Who knows? And also, the impacts are a little hard. You know, the yeah. impacts are very speculative. Um and yeah, I mean, the obvious solution is, well, change your cultural attitudes. And to the extent that women are reluctant to marry someone with less educational credentials, they should just stop being I mean, I wonder if, if it wouldn't come from the other side as well. I mean, maybe Marines and cops and That's true, firemen yeah. aren't interested in, you know, because yeah. the woman having more status and that could be true. Being more educated can be uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the, so the, the sort of feminist response would be it shouldn't matter which gender has what status. Yeah. Right? There will always be some at, at least minor status imbalance and status changes all the time when you're moving through a career. So like all marriages are going to be uh, a match of people who have differing statuses and it shouldn't matter if it's the woman or the man. And then the sort of realist response is like, yeah, I understand it shouldn't matter, but it appears to matter to people. Yeah, so yeah. it you is can't, effectively... You can control and make someone happy. Right. It not. is creating an issue on the ground, whether or not that's justified or rational. You know, and, and then, you know, you go from there. That's I mean, interesting, yeah. 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 It could go either way on that, I suppose. Yeah. Or, of course, and th- this is a, maybe a less, um, you know, remarked upon thing, which is, well, why aren't we achieving gender balance in Yeah, I, I think that's a good question, you know, and I, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the ways in which men and women are different and, and the demands that the education system places on men. I mean, I've been somewhat sympathetic to arguments that the education system, as we have it set up now, is sort of inhospitable to boys. Um, and it's inhospitable to our daughters, too, who is just more like a boy in her behavior, right? Like, Oh, yeah, it, we're getting a little bit of that, I guess, yeah, right now. Yeah, like, if you're, a, like, I don't think Jane would be marked as an unusual kid if she was a boy. No. Right? Because all she is is, like, super energetic, running around, doing her own thing, wanting to play, wanting to roughhouse, not mm-hmm. hurting other kids, mainly hurting herself, <laughs> jumping off playground equipment and stuff. But she's just, like, not interested in sitting for circle time 
and and like doing arts and crafts that much like i mean she, she loves to draw she likes to draw and paint but like even with that she's like very tactile and like paints her hands and stuff although i think they have instilled that by doing handprint art anyway like i so i'm sympathetic to people who argue like look i have sons they're expected you know they're expecting seven-year-old boys who are just sort of like a nuclear furnace of energy to like sit still in a desk uh, for the entire school day and listen to a teacher talk and then follow rules. And like, they just have a lot more energy to burn than that and, and maybe learn better in different contexts. And I don't know if that goes all the way up the educational system and, you know, eventually terminates in men being kind of less having need more grades. recess. Yeah, I mean, you need more recess or, I mean... they. No, still, I mean, I think the theory would be uh, if you get turned off early, then you, you continue just clock to be... Out, yeah, right? like like you, that would be the... Your grades are lower and you're less interested in going to college, etc. You don't like the way that you're taught. I mean, I don't know what to do about it. I, there are lots of proposals out there, uh, but I can see that being... Or you being, could just institute gender quotas. I mean, do, 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 your, do your Nordics have these issues? Um, do they have gender parity in education? No, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, they have the issues. I mean, I guess. I don't know if they have issues, but they do. More women graduate than men. So maybe it's just a matter of, you know, I don't know. Maybe men don't want to go to college. Maybe they want to, they're more apt to take jobs that, uh, you yeah, know, no, allow I think them to do manual labor, work with their hands, don't require college degrees. I think that could be true as well. I mean, if you want to, like all of the pink collar professions are basically professionalized right nurses so like, teachers kind of kind of uh in a sort of weird way that the uh gender segregation in the labor market i think can also drive some of the gender imbalance in higher education because yeah. the pink collar professions are mostly mostly do require some kind of credential right like so if you want to be a school teacher in a public school i believe you have to have a college degree yes and so in in those countries if you wanted to be a child care worker yeah you would need some kind of degree i don't know if it's a two-year degree or, or whatever um and they're doing that here in dc as well yeah i saw that um, and that, that raised some issues but and so so if you want to be a teacher if you want to be a nurse nurse teacher uh, you know and child care worker these were here to for you know sort of the types of professions you could see belonging to women of you know the working classes you know and they they still are working class professions but they have this professionalized edge now that i guess is creating some issues well these were these were the only professions for professional women if yeah. you will for a long time yeah um the secretarial work but it's just yeah so as that occurs but yeah you know that seems to be the issue i guess um and some people i don't know some people say it doesn't matter or maybe it, i i was kind of reminded of you know the stuff you read about india or china because mm -hmm. they have just objective gender balances in the number of men and women right right i was reading an article the other day that some like 790 something girls are born for every 1000 boys in india that doesn't seem good yeah and that that's an impossible you know there's no cultural i mean there's, <laughs> there's a no cultural coming back from that <laughs> yeah like here it's like well you can you can marry across the strata you can uh yeah you can do cross-class marriages there it's like uh there's just a lot of men can will not get married unless i guess you do plural marriage or something i don't um, think men generally like that and uh i mean uh, yeah it, it's i'm very uh curious about how the situation in china and india is going to terminate because there is a very strong gender imbalance in each place. 
those uh, generations are now uh, coming of age. Mm. I know it's already created some friction uh, and some sex trafficking and so forth and uh, like a booming sex trade. Uh, mm. But I'm very curious about like, what are they going to have a land war? I mean, how do you fix that? How do you write that ship? I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very disturbing. So there you have it. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think it's good to have daughters. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, mean, you know, I'm I don't happy think we have that issue so in the U S so. Yeah. But, um, but you know, like you say, we're, we're having our own version of it. Uh, you know, there is one example of a of a famous cross class relationship. Okay, and that's Elizabeth Warren and the Marine that she was in an affair with. Okay, and she beat him with a chain. No, and he had All a right. scar on his back from All where right. she hit him with the chain. And okay, pr- and Principal Skinner and Miss Krabappel were making a baby, and the baby looked at me. Alrighty, well, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.